0: Look around you. Unless you're a disembodied artificial intelligence, somewhere close by you should be able to spot the human body in which you reside. You might love this body, or despise it, or wish it could be different somehow. But there's no denying that it's your body, and it is responsible for every single sensation, experience, idea, and moment of awareness you've had in your life so far. Now, close your eyes and slowly bring your finger up to touch the tip of your nose. How is it that you are able to perform this feat? What sense did you use to connect finger and nose? You weren't looking at your finger. So, it's not sight. And you probably didn't run your finger up your body, past your neck, and then poke around your face till you found your nose, so it isn't touch. And unless you have very unique tendencies, it's doubtful you use sound, taste, or smell to create the connection. So, which sense was it? Proprioception is the sense of self movement and body perception, it's how we locate ourselves in space and navigate our bodies through it. It is the sixth sense that creates our fundamental awareness of having a body, being a body, and what's going on with our bodies. And it's a sense that we're all too often disengaged with in the modern world. Now me, I'm a sloucher and a slumper, and this frequently results in a terrible tightness in my shoulders and neck. I happen to be experiencing precisely that issue on the day I went to see Dina Odell Hyatt for an Alexander Technique session and workshop. My normal reaction to this tightness is to force and pull my body in the opposite direction, shrugging my shoulders and straining my neck in the hopes that I can knock something loose. But when I worked with Dina, she had a different approach. With a light touch and equally gentle encouragement, she helped me find the strong parts of my back and connect with those so they could naturally express themselves. Without strain, without effort, I was amazed to find my shoulders loosening and relaxing within minutes. And thus, I am now thrilled to welcome Dina into our ritual so she can gently touch each of you embodied listeners and remind you how to be in your body. Hello, Dina. Hello. Welcome to Ritual Space.
1: Thank you. What's our magic word going to be? Align.
0: Align. One, two, three. Align. Why align?
1: I work a lot with people on aligning their mind and their body together, as well as all the parts of the body in space together. And I also think there's a way to align to a certain frequency or vibration so I think it can encompass a lot more than just what like a physical therapist would be like, alignment, spine alignment.
0: That's so meta because the whole point of the magic word is to help the future listeners align into the moment that we're creating and sharing. So it works on so many levels, all the way up and down.
1: So many levels.
0: So today we're going to be talking about the Alexander technique and bodies and posture. And I would love if you could just start by sharing your own personal story of how you came into this work.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me. This is really a different type of podcast. I've never done something where we do a cool little meditation beforehand and get everyone set up.
0: How many wizard podcasts have you done?
1: This is my first. Oh, okay. And hopefully well, not welcome. last. No, no, no. We're <laughs> a big deal in the
0: 21st century, so there'll be more and more of these.
1: Um, so that was actually kind of a little bit of an Alexander technique thing that we did before mm. in that you were just bringing us present to the moment in our bodies giving some space for us to organize ourselves but that is actually you we were just practicing the alexander technique before well when we i started. attended
0: your workshop the other day i was noticing all of these little subtle things where i was like ah this is like hypnosis or wizardry and so i think there's a big overlap between some of these body oriented techniques and some of these mind oriented techniques but then the real secret is there's only one mind body and-
1: correct Yes. And, and how I got to find the Alexander Technique, which is essentially, like you're saying, it's, it's mindfulness, which that term didn't come about until the 60s or 70s. It's a lot of things that are already out there, but just a little bit more kinesthetically mm-hmm. bringing the body in. Um, embodied mindfulness, you might call it. I was not really thinking about any of that stuff. I was a performer, and I worked at school for the blind and visually impaired in Austin, Texas. And in two thousand nine or two thousand eight, late two thousand eight, I stopped being able to use my right hand and arm, and Just I suddenly or like it slow? was it was it was it was interesting. It was a slow a slow chronic pain situation. Um, that I was completely clueless about what was going on. It did seem sudden, sudden to me. But now that I work with people, I realize how you can be so unaware for such a long time and bury it. That it does seem like a surprise. But to someone like me who's now studied it, I couldn't see where it's going. Like you can wh- see the
0: iceberg yes. off in the distance as the ship is. Yes, but at steering the time I it. was
1: completely unaware that I, anything wrong was going on. Um. I would say in general, I had a go-getter personality, which I still have. I had a stick-your-neck-out-there thing, people-pleasing, you know, really breaking my back over things. And I didn't know... I like all these metaphors that yeah, you're using about yeah. how you
0: used to be that are also posture-related.
1: Yes. I mean, cognitive embodied linguistics is a whole other subject we can cover, which is amazing. Um, but, yes, so I just slowly was in chronic pain seemingly out of nowhere and the doctors all didn't know and there were healers telling me this or that and I had a parasite or whatever nothing was working acupuncture was helping um it was helping me manage the pain and I still do acupuncture once a week but it wasn't changing the way I moved or anything um
0: and it, it got bad right it you got so bad hand. I
1: literally couldn't like turn a key hold a pen so I I called my parents and I said I was living with my boyfriend at the time, Chad, and and we had like two bands together and I was working. I was trying to work, but it had gotten to the point where I wasn't fully functional and the cloud of pain was like, I was very depressed. It was hard, it was hard on a relationship. And I called my parents, I said, I need to come home. I am not fully functional and I don't know what to do. And I thought that I was just gonna live with chronic pain and I had to figure out how to. So I actually started learning how to do things with my left hand. Mm. So I can write with my left hand now, Mm -hmm. but then that pain went over to the other side because I was still doing it in the habits that I had. I came to realize. Anyways, long story longer, I went to doctors and we went to the best this and that and the surgeons of course were like we're going to do surgery and surgeons do yeah they do and i was like i don't know if i want that but i really didn't know what else to do so they said i had thoracic outlet syndrome i did not have an extra rib for those of you who know about thoracic outlet syndrome you can have an extra rib or it can just be compression in the brachial plexus which is this complex structure from your neck through your chest basically um which affects your ulnar nerve, which runs all the way down your elbow to your hands. And especially these two fingers here, the pinky and the ring. The pinky and the ring finger. Um, so my hand was swollen and all this stuff. And he said, "We'll take your rib out and the scalene muscle. And you won't see a thing. He was also a plastic surgeon. And he was very concerned about me not having this crazy-ass thoracic Elton syndrome scar, which I don't have. He did yeah. a very nice job. But it didn't work. You know, and and the idea was to create space.
0: Did he at least create another human being from your rib?
1: <laughs> I actually asked to keep the rib. I thought it would Did make a nice it? necklace. They wouldn't let me. It's like a biohazard. And that was like what? a real philosophical issue for me because I'm like, this is my body. My body,
0: my souvenir. Right. My that's, souvenir. that's my,
1: that's that's my, my political platform. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, to make things worse after I got out of the surgery where they took my rib out successfully um they found that the rib was actually instead of horizontal it was vertical it had been pulled up out of place ah, which jeepers. no one could explain and now yeah. i can explain it to you after studying alexander technique your muscles shorten and they lengthen my scaling because i was sticking my neck out there so much and really had a forward head position my scaling had shortened you were leaning in yes Yeah. and they can come to you <laughs> um, But the <laughs> The scalene had shortened And had pulled the rib Because it attaches to the first rib So if your muscles get stuck In a place for too long It will interfere with the things around it Blood vessels, nerves, bones La la la
0: Well if you think about like, like the backstage rigging of a theater And yeah. you have a pulley That is like jammed in place Like it's going to pull the other sandbags The other lights It's going to cause havoc on that part of the stage To anything it's connected to
1: Yeah so got out of the surgery three months went by i wasn't better i went back i was like i'm still not well and i mean they they said it was not a you know it's like 50 50 that it would work Mm. and then on top of that they messed up in the surgery poked my lung i spent 12 hours screaming they said i was being dramatic and i was like something is wrong i know something is wrong i know my body something is wrong it turns out there was liquid filling up my lung and they had to do a second surgery to, like, drain it. To fix the boo-boo from the first the surgery. And fix the complication. Yeah, that's the thing about surgery. Surgery is traumatic. A lot of people choose it because it's supposed to fix it, but then it creates, you have to then deal with even with the surgery's mm-hmm. trauma to your body. So, and I didn't know how to deal with anything, any trauma to my body. I didn't even think about it. And then, yeah, they just said, like, we can give you some more painkillers, some stronger Percocet, and I really didn't want to get addicted to painkillers again because I had already been addicted to painkillers in two 2000- thousand two i believe when i had a surgery that i had a really strange blood clot from my stomach all the way down my left leg the mm. largest blood clot anyone had seen in their careers wow and they had a to rotor root of my leg and they gave me rotary. essentially yeah <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> it was like a very unconventional surgery that's a whole nother traumatic story but um i uh I left the hospital with painkillers, and I loved them, mm. and I got really into them. And I had to get myself off them. So this time, when they offered me more, I was like, "Uh uh-uh, uh, I'm not doing that."
0: So the surgeon, you're like, "I'd like my rib," and they're like, "No, that's a problem." And you're like, "Well, I I previously had a problem with painkillers," and they're like, "Well, we'll give you extra strength."
1: Yeah, yeah. I don't know if I told them that I had a problem with painkillers because mm. I, I I thought I needed them, and and then I was just like, "Okay, fuck you guys," and I I actually can't remember how i learned about alexander technique in that people always ask how did you i don't know somebody told me about it i found it on the internet i think maybe someone said it but there was a moment you know when things your life changes a little bit and you can't remember pinpoint how you found out about whatever it was it's like that but i remembered calling the teacher marian goldberg who's just the salt of the earth she's she's a hermit teacher um she likes really dedicated to the technique and she studied with Alex and Joan Murray in the lineage of the Walter Carrington teaching and they studied with Raymond Dart developmental movement which is a whole nother fucking awesome.
0: Who is Alexander?
1: So FM Alexander was a Shakespearean actor and natural elocutionist and orator in the god it was like the 1800s 19th century turn of the century mm-hmm. in australia and he started going hoarse, and was not able to use his voice which was his instrument so he was a very scientific minded guy lived out on a farm did a lot of research so he started like actually they offered him surgery throat surgery he said but why is this happening and they couldn't explain it so he went to figure it out Which is the first principle of Alexander Technique is self-responsibility. Obviously, if you got in an accident, that's not your fault. But a lot of the problems we have are an accumulation of wear and tear and things that were ways that we're carrying ourselves. Mm -hmm. So he set up four mirrors and he studied himself and gave himself stimuluses and responses, stimuli and response. And he would say, okay, I'm going to speak. And then he started noticing that he pulled his head back and kind of jutted his chin out to speak and he started observing behaviors and asking people if they notice things and he came to get rid of his hoarseness and he kept losing his voice he was having a problem losing his voice through studying himself and getting out of these habits so he honed in on habits John Dewey the philosopher the American philosopher worked with him was
0: this is the Dewey Decimal System guy?
1: Different Dewey. Different Dewey, okay. Um, he's He was really into habits and behavior change. Mm-hmm. And he basically started writing all the intros for Alexander's books because he was freaking out about Alexander Technique because he was like, this is embodying everything I've been speaking about in terms of just thoughts. Yeah. yeah.
0: And so then that goes through a lineage, and then you get introduced to it through this hermit.
1: Right, Marion Goldberg, who now in L.A., when I'm in L.A., they're like, oh, she's a real person. <laughs> um, I love her. Where so was
0: her hermitage?
1: She's in McLean, Virginia, right outside of okay. D.C. Yeah. So I started studying with her. I had no idea what we were doing. And I think at that point I'd just given up. So I just like kind of gave over to her teaching. But she's a very silent teacher. She really is a hands-on. And we worked and I started...
0: When the master teaches, yeah, she doesn't say anything.
1: Yeah. I just started... I th- It was a little uncomfortable at first because I was becoming aware of things that I had buried. And so things were coming to the surface. And it's like, you know, what Carl Jung says about bringing the unconscious to conscious so that you don't just... Your fate just happens without you having any conscious control. F.M. Alexander wrote a book called Creative Conscious Control. Mm. He has a lot of really lofty titled books, like Man's Supreme Inheritance, which is conscious control and choice and not being just reactive and going into your habits all the time. Anyways, so I started studying with her, realizing, you know, stuff I was doing, and I was just with her maybe twice a week and then slowly started taking control of the situation and feeling empowered I wasn't like oh my god I feel amazing I was just like oh my gosh I think I understand what's happening and so I think in that way it's so educational that you know when you actually deal with your habits and what you're doing when you move and how you over tense in these ways and how to release in movement and all these accumulations that I wish that doctors would just look at you and they could tell this. I mean, if I was trained for three and a half, four years to be a teacher and now I can see patterns of movement... Doctors are trained for a while and they get people coming in all the time with repetitive strain injury, you know, TMJ, carpal tunnel. These are all things that root back to habitual strain and wear and tear. Well, they're
0: trained in one particular avenue. And yeah. So, you know, I'm not anti-doctor by any means. No. But if you the classic, you know, if you're a carpenter and you yeah. have a hammer, everything's going to look like a nail. Right. And so if you have your route, that's the habit that they have. Right. And it's important to be able to look more holistically to see what is going on with this person and i think what you just described with that idea of conscious control we as human beings whether it's an illusion or not we have the appearance of i can decide to do something different today Mm -hmm. i cannot go the normal way to work i can call into work i can go take myself on a day like i can change my life in those little ways and because of movies and television i think we all want the montage we want the like you go in and you come out the door and you're singing and the birds are right. singing with you. And instead, it's a more gradual process. But it's still amazing that you were able to steer into a different path than the one that wasn't working and the options that weren't even giving you little rib keychains.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And and in that process, which is a forever process, like I, I like to say you don't go into therapy and say, When do I never have any stress or problems or depression? You know, you go into therapy, to learn the tools Mm -hmm. to deal with life and you're never perfect. And same with the Alexander Technique. I am constantly aware of things and that's always an opportunity. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, you know, you can't be too hard on yourself. You do your best. But my posture changed a lot, which is usually the first thing that people want to talk about. With Alexander technique is posture, and they want to know what is the right position that they should put themselves in, and I have to explain it's doggy style. <laughs> there is a way to do that, yeah. um, and and it's actually very much like kid m- movement. Just like <laughs> never mind, I'm not going to get into this. But um, doggy style is is a good position of mechanical advantage, mm-hmm. as uh, he would say, FM Alexander would say. But uh, it's empowering to to learn about how you do things and it doesn't have to be intimidating. And is it a dynamic relationship between your body and your mind and all the parts of your body and every day and every moment, just like any other mindfulness practice? And every time you become aware of something that you didn't realize, you don't have to attach to it. Well, you said
0: a great thing in the uh, workshop that we did that there's this image that we were given of your brain is a little computer that drives your body around like a car and it just sits there and it's, it's just in control and your body is a separate vehicle, which is just absolutely not true. Your nervous system runs throughout your entire body. Your digestive system is giving feedback. Your whole body is in tune with itself and in tune with the environment Mm -hmm. around it. So all of things, these things, if, if your environment is, five feet shorter than you need to be then you're going to be stooping if you're stooping things aren't flowing the way that they need to be flowing if things aren't flowing the way they need to be flowing you're going to get cranky mm-hmm. so they're all connected
1: absolutely yeah oxygenation mm-hmm. you know the the oxygen that you're getting to your brain affects your thinking your brain is that's in the your kind body. of oxy i like that's the kind of oxy. blood circulation um all of those things and yeah it's it's fascinating to think about when is there ever a time in your life where it is separate? Think about, let's think about the most cerebral thing you could possibly do. Let's say you're giving a lecture or reading. The entire time I'm talking, I'm using my breath. I'm moving my lips. Mm-hmm. I'm moving my neck or not. You know, even when I'm reading, I'm moving my eye bells, which attach to my occipital lobe. Like, it's mm-hmm. all in the body and the brain. Let's think about a very physical thing you might do. Play soccer. Do you not think your brain is... Like your mental capacity during every single move in this physical activity or even when you're at the gym, you're challenging yourself, you're giving up, you're keeping going. All of that. It's all together. Mm -hmm. The integration is really the key, I think, in the next move, you know, for society.
0: Yeah. Moving past the cart. Can I just
1: do a quick like rant? Oh,
0: please rant away.
1: Okay, so I think this is going to be a little lofty. Um, I think the reason that they want us to disconnect from our body is it's a capitalist way to create product being more important than the human. So if you're at, you know, Part of the machine, and you have to go to work, and you work hard, and you're bragging about how you haven't slept and you haven't eaten, and you know you've just been drinking coffee and working, and oh my god, I've been working, and I I don't care about my body, and my body doesn't matter. I'm I'm really smart, and my brain is inside of the computer now, and we're making this big product, and capitalism is working, and then you end up not optimally functioning as a human because you're not in your body and your mind together. Then. How you might have made a really cool app or whatever, and but if the humans that are coming up with all the ideas are harming themselves by not taking care of themselves, then who's winning in this scenario? Qui bono. Who benefits? Qui bono. Yeah. Yeah.
0: That's one of the common things. I, I So I used to work at a tech company that fed us lunch, which is a nice perk, but it made me very aware that I was like, oh... Our bodies are little furnaces and we turn calories into work output. And so it makes sense that you're feeding us. like
1: Yeah, yeah, stay forever. Give give
0: us the fuel that we're turning into ideas and spreadsheets and docs and code and all the various other things that we're, we're creating here today. Yeah. Yeah. So what is the heart of the Alexander Technique if someone was going to come in off the street and say, do an Alexander on me. What does that look like? Maybe I should say, what does that feel like?
1: Mm. It is an experience. So I think that's why it can be hard to describe. But the very first thing we do is chair work. Chair work. hmm Okay. And it it's so simple, but think about how often you sit in a chair yeah. in a given day or something like a chair, a toilet, for example. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We are sitting and standing all day. So in that motion is a lot of coordination that's happening. First, you have your head, neck, back relationship. Then you have your hip, knee, ankle relationship. You have your breathing mechanism. All of these relationships and dynamics in this whole system that's operating to get you to lower in space. Mm -hmm. In that, I can see where there are habits of tension and pulling and collapsing and overdoing. Usually it's just doing more and tensing in ways that aren't helpful. When you sit well, which there's a basic human design, which you can observe children and if they're able-bodied, the way that their head is poised and there's this beautiful relationship so that the back is supporting the head, the back is supporting the arms, everything is bending so that you lower in space – rather than collapsing. Um, So in the chair work, we can see where the person is getting in their own way. right? Um, And so as I told you in the workshop, I am not teaching people something new. This is something that you have already. It is a natural coordination and we are learning what it is that you are overdoing and creating that is stopping you from tapping into that. And as you work with students, there's actually this moment where you can feel it in them. This It's a spring mm-hmm. that gets activated. And then you can give like the lightest hands on and they just spring up out of the chair without any of that extra effort. So the first way that it looks to have an Alexander Technique with uh, the way that I was trained and a lot of people are trained, which there's some that train differently, but traditionally it's 1600 hours. Wow. Um, so usually three and a half years, I was a little longer because I was in such a bad way. So it was more yeah. four years for me. Um, and we, the chair work is really important. It is also super important for thinking. So I cannot address someone in their habits if they're thinking, I need to do this right. I've got to do a good job. I'm being hard on myself. Mm-hmm. Or if they have too much, like if they're trying to control in a way that they're trying to do things correctly or end gain, as we call it, which is like, in in the Alexander Technique, they call it means whereby versus end gaining. Means whereby is essentially it's the journey, mm-hmm. not the destination.
0: Not the lust for results.
1: Right, and, and most of the ways that people are causing harm is trying to do it perfectly or correctly or get to the end goal. Mm. So they're not like breathing and feeling in the moment so a lot of it is trying to get people present and one way that I like to do that is to kind of see where they notice if they're looking so one thing that's helpful about habits is that we don't have to think about things all the time I don't have to think how do I drive how do I walk but when you're trying to do self-improvement there are times when you want to pause and say what what am I doing am I doing it the way I want to do I have a choice so the chair is a choice mm-hmm. and we say first you say no to the chair because if you start sitting without pausing first, which is the power of pause, as we talked about, that's where you have the choice to get out of something.
0: Taking that moment to just recalibrate and think about how am I going to move rather than in going, space down exactly. rather than... Yeah, it's interesting. I've, Reacting
1: I've, and going right into your habit.
0: I've seen a few different people lately that have... Um, these like visual coding programs. So there'll be like a little box on the screen. And if you click into that, it has a bunch of boxes that make up that box and you can go down and down to the different components. And I think a lot of people think of sitting as the ultimate box. Sitting is just the one thing. And we don't double click into that and go, Oh, sitting involves where my feet are positioned, how my knees are bending, how I'm lowering myself, where my neck is turning, all of these other component parts that, I think when I was working with you, you were able to show me things that I had never even considered because it was always the goal of move body into chair, yeah. and unless I fell out of the chair, I considered that I did it correctly.
1: Yes, yeah, and there is no correctly. Is the other thing is it's always a movement, and in movement, there's no spot that you get to is perfect. You're I think if you miss the chair, place. we can say if you, you miss did the it chair. wrong. That's true. But aside yeah. from that, as long as, as long as, yeah. <laughs> well, if you're using yourself well. And someone takes the chair out from under you, you will not fall. You will go into a squat. Wow. And that's that's because you're really bending at the knee. And most people, out of fear, lock their knees. Ironically, that's what's going to make you fall. Think about martial arts. If you're locked in any way, your opponent has the upper hand. You've got to be dynamic. and Flexible
0: like bamboo.
1: Yes. The tree Mm -hmm. bends so that it doesn't break in Mm -hmm. the wind. So that is one thing that I like to emphasize about Alexander Technique because I feel like there's a stereotype of these kind of like Alexandroids that are like perfect posture and it's like no if you're really doing it you're flowing and it should feel like sitting and standing is a flow and if you can get into the nitty-gritty of your habits around something as simple as sitting you can then introduce a stronger stimulus of something that you're more attached to. Like if someone comes to me and they're a violinist or a guitarist, or they want to work on at the computer, that's a big stimulus. Oh, yeah, you know, so but if you can start exercising this ability to pause, reorganize, know what your tendencies are, is try not to go into them so that you can let your natural mechanism flow then that is going to apply to everything in your life, which is to say how you do one thing is how you do everything. And so some people will say, oh gosh, you know, I sit this way and it really hurts and to try to sit up, that hurts me too. So I feel like good posture is tense and it hurts to have good posture. I would say, well, how are you sitting and how are you trying to get into this supposed good posture that you have in your mind? Because probably it's whatever the way that you think of doing it right is part of the problem. So we got to It's like overcompensating.
0: That. Yeah. It's like When people always say blah, blah, blah. And I and it's like, nope. And me was correct. Like
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. people,
0: people trying to do it the right way actually end up doing things more incorrectly. The yes. overcompensation. Yes. So, start with the chair. Okay, so you start with the chair. And that's the microcosm that kind of teaches you how... Microcosm. Yeah. Chairing is caring.
1: Chairing is caring. And, And you notice the breath. You know, it's really crucial. And the way that we're trained as Alexander teachers, when we put hands on, is to not interfere with you, not put our stuff on you. So, the reason the training is so long is that you know, for a massage therapist, you're learning about the other person's body and how to manipulate their body. And sometimes they learn a little bit about body dynamics and, you know, advantageous ways, but we are really actually trying to deal with our own habits before we even put our hands on. So then when I put my hands on you, I am breathing. I'm in my body. I'm calm. I have a neutral hand. We call it a neutral hand like listening hand, mm-hmm. that's my hand can't be trying to end gain either, right? If I see that you have tension, I'm trying to fix it for you. You're not going to learn. So I am pro- providing feedback. Mm-hmm. And so just by the sensory feedback, you're learning, oh, wait, can I release that? And that's your brain giving the instructions. So that way it's not passive process. You're not lying there and something's happening to you mysteriously yeah. in a void. And then you go out into the real world and have to deal with your tension.
0: Or you're being pushed against your own instinct into the correct thing, which then falls apart as soon as you get out the door. Where
1: Exactly. Like
0: you've taped me into the right position and it right. lasts until.
1: But I didn't learn anything about how i got there in the first place so and some of that can be verbal i was trained very silently but i have come to find out that verbal instruction can be super helpful it depends on the type of learner and Mm -hmm. i've been doing skype sessions and actually because you know it's i've been doing it so much i see it and i can now explain it and show it in my body and some people learn really well that way Mm -hmm. more so than with hands-on so One thing I've been really interested in is different learning types, Mm -hmm. you know, like we were talking about, visual learners.
0: Kinesthetic, auditory. Mm -hmm. Well, one of the things that I loved is is that idea of you're addressing it in yourself first because it made me think about communication. Mm -hmm. If I'm in conflict with somebody and I'm thinking, wow, they're being really angry, I'm probably also angry that they're angry. And if I'm just trying to use my anger as leverage to get them to not be angry, that's not going to work. Whereas if I can check it with myself and deal with my anger first, I feel like that models something and then that creates an opportunity and space for them to follow along rather than them escalating because they sense that I'm trying to dominate and get them to do something that I want.
1: Yeah. The idea of getting someone to do something, you know, that's when it really is a student teacher relationship Mm. is when I will, I will think about the day the next day and what people are like and the best way to approach different people because I want them to be making the choices. You're trying to teach them to have conscious choice and you're just providing a little bit of feedback. And uh, you have been trained to notice the patterns. So you're like pointing that out to them. And then they have to make the conscious choice themselves. So how can you provide the space for them to learn and grow and feel comfortable being wrong? Because essentially all we're dealing with is, what are you doing wrong? What am I doing wrong? And a lot of people are afraid of being wrong, as we've talked about. But that is a, that's the way that you learn how to improve there's no room for growth growth Mm -hmm. for growth if you are constantly doing the same thing over and over and over again as einstein says you can't solve a problem with the same consciousness that created it Mm. so it is kind of learning how to get out of your habits which is hard
0: it's hard. <laughs> we create those ruts, and then we we just drive around the same track again and yeah. again and again. That's one of the things that they've started to see with uh, the psychedelic therapy is that depression you can think of as an overabundance of patterns. Someone is just stuck in these loops, and so when you're like, well, "Let's go get ice cream. That'll be fun." They're like, "No, it can never be fun." And then. Not that everyone who's depressed needs to go take psychedelics, but the research that's been done has found that that creates, it's almost like water on that dry like, desert Move road it, that then yeah. reduces those grooves, and you're able to see how many possibilities exist when you get out of those locked patterns.
1: Possibility. So that's my favorite thing mm-hmm. is realizing someone came to me and said, I'm realizing I want to work with you. I, she said, I want to unlock my potential. Yeah, And I was like, oh, what a cool way to say it. But yeah, if you just have these blocks and you're like, this is the way I do it, this is who I am, this is how I am, this is the way I've always done it in the past. This is the way it's always been done in the past. You know, where's the room for growth? Where's the room for potential, for possibility?
0: It kind of flips everything on its head because I could see someone coming and they think, All of the other ways that I'm doing things are wrong. Please teach me the one correct way. And instead it's saying you have learned a bunch of shortcuts that are damaging to you. Let's free you from that box. And then you can see that there's actually a million different ways that you can sit in a chair that are going to be better for you. And you can explore all of those present and in the moment rather than just repetitively repetitively doing what's damaging.
1: Yes. The the funnest part is when I feel that student has gotten to the point of enough flexibility in mind and body that i can surprise them that instead of sitting we turn because they're really with it and coordinated so you you can it's it's really fun it's like dancing yeah Yeah. i was just
0: thinking i was like i wonder what it looks like to watch a bunch of alexander technique people dance together
1: yes yes that happens sometimes although i don't hang out with that many alexander technique teachers because i don't know sometimes they can be uptight or something (laughs)
0: the alexandroids i really like that term
1: i'm a little yeah i i appreciate everyone who studies it but i'm not really in the community i feel the community has separated themselves from the rest of the wellness world in a way Mm. of an elitism or something it's like only taught in like fancy like juilliard and and i really it's really connected to performance yeah which is awesome and and it in turn helped me with my Mm. performance immensely and I didn't come into it for my voice or, you Mm. know, but I ended up getting these crazy voice acting parts just like because I could be in the moment and I wasn't end gaining and I was in my voice and I was in my breath and I was having fun. Um, But having
0: fun, that's an important one.
1: I like to have fun in my sessions. So I will be very casual with my students and I'll talk about other things because, again, I want them to be working in the real world with stimulus. Sometimes I will have to say, okay, let's stop talking and I really need you to focus on releasing your jaw because it's like... But it's very cool when you can do it in real life because that's, you know, when you're at the chopping board, when you're at the steering wheel, during the day when you're brushing your teeth, like, these are all times that you can practice. Am I breathing? All of
0: the interactions that we fleshy beings have with rigid machines.
1: Yes, exactly.
0: So for all of the lovely listeners at home, what is a little spell that we can give them to bring some Alexandrian wisdom into their lives? Oh my
1: God, this is fun. Hold on. Okay, so how does it work? How do I do a spell?
0: So what we want to think about, the idea is that people have listened to the conversation that we've had and they're going, yeah, but I'm into this, but I'm not necessarily going to go out tomorrow and sign up for one-on-one Alexander Technique workshops. But if we can create that small one degree of change that we've talked about, if we can get their sailboat pointed in just a little bit of a different direction, that can start things moving that will take them in a different direction and allow them to embody some of the alignment we've discussed here today. Okay, perfect. So we're trying to think of what is the least you can do to do this?
1: Okay, Everyone who's here listening, let's just listen. Listen to the sounds you hear very close by. Listen to the sounds you're hearing very far away and in between. When you're noticing your breath, I really want you to not think about controlling it. You're noticing the breath coming in through your nose. And you're just allowing it. Our system is designed to breathe naturally. We don't have to breathe. So if you are not breathing, it's because you are interfering with your breath or you're holding it. So let's just think about not holding it and breathing. We can think of the spot at the top of the head Those of us familiar with Chinese medicine, it's the meeting of a thousand gates. You sometimes get a needle up there. Just lengthening up. Not in a tense way, but really from the bottom up, just lengthening, lightening up along the spine, thinking of the back being long and wide, noticing the floor coming up to support you. letting the jaw release, allowing the tongue to fall to the bottom of the mouth, the space between your brows relaxing, your eyeballs relaxing. Every moment you have a choice to think up or think down, to be up or be down, we can always just give ourselves little instructions Little directions saying, oop, think up. Don't get down. Think up along the spine.
0: Wonderful. Thank you, Dina. For more of Dina's work, visit mindbodygrace.com. And for more of this podcast is a ritual's life-changing body affirming magic, you can visit Patreon.com slash this podcast is a ritual. Where you will find a very special meditation co created by Dina and I that guides you through breathing, body awareness, and just tuning in to the wonderful frequencies that you have within you. You can find that at patreon.com this podcast is a ritual. Until next time, I believe in you. Your body is magical.